Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, anyway, uh, good morning again. My my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here on staff here at River of Life. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, You're welcome here just as you are. But I promise you, uh, if you're open to listen, God wants you to leave here changed. God wants to do a work in you. He wants to do work through you. Um, If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I pray this morning he's already beginning to speak to you on those accounts. And if you do know him, I pray that he's speaking to you into your heart about your union with him and that your walk with him. Uh, We've been in a sermon series, The Beatitudes, the last few weeks, if you've been with us. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to the the last couple podcasts. Uh, We're really piggybacking on each other. Uh, So if you haven't been here, uh, you have missed quite a bit uh, of these Beatitudes that we've been diving into. Uh, Would you turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me this morning as we we dial in uh, this morning? Uh, as you turn there, Matthew chapter 5 is bringing us on the, 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 the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we say that to, to us that have been in church all, we know that what's, what I'm saying is Jesus at one point, he sat down and he taught for, for an extended amount of time, a bunch of teaching about the kingdom of God. But what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be a reality in, in, in a person's life and the characteristics as you allow the kingdom of God to invade your life and to take your life over, what characteristics, what temperaments will be yours as a child of God in the kingdom of God? Amen, Matthias. Um, so we have Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, leading up to this this. This, this Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus, he, he was baptized by John the Baptist, okay, and that all unfolded, and, and, and God spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and, and, and then and immediately after his baptism, we have Jesus going into the wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan, and, and that, that whole thing unfolded for him, being temptation uh, by, by Satan and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He gets through that, and as he gets through that, his ministry, as Doug shared in the last couple of weeks, it's like a shotgun went off, and his ministry begins. And a ministry, powerful ministry begins, and we see crowds and crowds, and he, he calls his disciples to him, or the first couple disciples anyways at this point, and crowds are coming, crowds are being, people are being healed, uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally, people are being healed, uh, signs and wonders are happening as Jesus is bringing the kingdom, and he's saying a central thing, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's kind of like... The kingdom of God is at hand. These things that are going on. I am God that has that, 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 that was the word from eternal past who created the world. Here I am. I, I've come. I've, I've tabernacled among you. I've, the word became flesh and I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in Matthew chapter 5, we pick it up here in context. And seeing the crowds and, and performing all these miracles, crowds came and multitudes came and everything was, the kingdom was coming and it was crazy. And, and Jesus, he slips away and he goes up to the mountain. Seeing the crowds, just, just follow with me here in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. As we see the context here, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in the last two weeks, we, we, looked, at, we looked at those two things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and Pastor Doug, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking through him to us as we, we learned his word. What, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It, meant, it means that we're broken. We're, we're broken people. We understand our need. We understand, man, I'm just broken, and I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of a God who has something more than what I have for myself. And in this brokenness, we, we become dependent. We, we must become dependent. And Jesus says, it's those who are dependent on God, who are poor in spirit, whose is the kingdom of God. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, last week we looked at it, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who, who don't just realize their brokenness, but while they're being broken or in their seasons of brokenness, they, they actually get what's going on inside out. They, they mourn it out, whether to, well, to both, to, to both uh, your fellow man, to, to, you know, brothers and sisters of the faith, you know, in community, but also mourn it out to the Lord and, and getting what's in out. Again, listen to the podcast the last couple of weeks. Great stuff to consider. Well, we come this morning to the third beatitude as Jesus continues in the sermon. In verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Meekness. Kind of a funny word. Um, as I thought about this this week, you know, thinking about meekness, blessed are the meek, I, I, had, to, I had to kind of chuckle a couple of times. It's a funny word. The, the culture, at least what I grew up in, I'll speak for myself, I, I haven't u- used this word much at all, if not ever. Question. Okay, just an honest question for yourselves to kind of get our juices flowing. When was the last time you, when walking down the street or going to work or doing something normal in life, heard somebody say to somebody else, hey, you're, you're a meek person. Have you ever heard someone describe someone as a, a meek person or, or, or have you yourself? I had to think really, I, I don't think I have, anyway, have you yourself in everyday context, have you ever gone up to someone and say, hey, you know, sister, you're just such a meek individual. Have you ever described someone in that way? I think we've, in this culture, just, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or anything. It's just, it is what it is. We just don't use the word meek very often. And even as I, as I jumped in, uh, knowing I was going to teach on this this week, I, I did a biblical word study on this word meek. The, the little word that, that Jesus used here is praus. It's the Greek word praus. And as I did this, this word study, I, I came to realize, I didn't really realize this before, but it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament, this word for meek, prouse. Only a handful of times it's used. It's used here. It's used to describe, Jesus describes himself, and we'll get into that a little later. He describes himself as meek in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He talks about taking his yoke upon uh, ourselves because he, he's, he's meek and he's lowly in heart. So he describes himself as meek. And we see also in the New Testament in Matthew 21, uh, the, uh, uh, Matthew, as he, as he writes the gospel there, he, he, he explains Jesus as being meek as he rides in on a colt, on a donkey there before the triumphal entry, that, that Jesus was meek. But only a handful of times we see it being used. 
And then the Old Testament, kind of the, the equivalent word in Hebrew for meek in the Old Testament wasn't used that much more. It was used to, to describe, and again, we'll, we'll get into this a little later, but it was used to describe the person of Moses. It said that Moses was a meek man, meekest in all the earth. Uh, the Psalms use this word meek a few times. Just, and actually, Jesus is quoting from one of the Psalms here. Psalms 37.10 says that the meek will inherit the earth. Uh, and, and the prophets, just a few of the prophets, a few times through their prophecies, like in Isaiah, it talks about the meek. In this, 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 this kingdom of God being one of meekness. I share this with you because that's kind of the reality. And I, I believe that it's a good possibility that a number of us here this morning maybe have heard the word weak, maybe a weak, meek, maybe have thought about it a little bit, but I bet there's some of us who have maybe never considered what is this all about and how does it apply to my life and what does this look like? I believe Jesus here, as this Sermon on the Mount, this initial Sermon on the Mount, I believe Jesus, in all of his teaching, has wisdom and reason for placing this beatitude of meekness directly after the poor in spirit and directly after the ones who mourn. And I say that because of a few things that I read this week. Consider a couple quotes here this morning. Again, getting our juices flowing here. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Uh, studies in the Sermon of of the Mount, he says this, and it's on the screen, a person can never be meek unless he is poor in spirit. A person can never be meek unless he has seen himself as a vile sinner. These things must come first, okay? R.W. Glenn, in his commentary, the Gospel of the Beatitudes comments that meekness, it's an internal, internal attitude that you see externally, as you relate with other people. If mourning, okay, talking about the other Beatitudes before, if mourning is the emotional counterpart to poverty or spirit, then meekness is the relational counterpart to both poverty of spirit and mourning. Again, stuff these guys, man, these guys are smart, okay? So we're just kind of getting our juices flowing, thinking about meekness. But I say simply this, this morning, if we haven't allowed the last couple weeks as we walked and talked through being poor in spirit, being what does it mean to be dependent upon God? And if we didn't think about last week, and, and our, if we're not walking in, okay, what does it look like for me as a person to be one who mourns in my brokenness, but I'm getting what's in out? If we aren't growing in either of these by the power of the Holy Spirit, then this morning we don't have a chance at one understanding meekness and or being people who are meek. In, in real time, in real life. So this morning, I believe it's the heart of God that we consider meekness. And I believe that, that it's his heart that, that we, his children, live in a lifestyle of meekness. And I use that word lifestyle specifically because it is a lifestyle. It's not just a characteristic. It's not just a temperament. It's a relational and outward lifestyle that people can see or should see in us. So a lifestyle of meekness, and where are we going this morning? I believe that that meekness can be born out of a few things with the few minutes that we have this morning. Number one, I want to kind of dive into what does it look like for us to embrace a healthy view of ourselves, Okay. As we consider a lifestyle of meekness, I believe that meekness is born out of, number one, embracing a healthy view of ourselves. 
Number two, we'll dig into this lifestyle style of meekness is one of establishing a proper confidence in God. And number three, as we grow in these things, that we, we allow selflessness, selflessness, don't miss it, it's not selfishness, selflessness to reign, to reign, reign. Not just kind of be in this little pocket over here, but to, to reign in us. To reign in us. Well, as we dive in this morning, I, I want to, I, I read, I read, a lot of different material this week, because I honestly, like I said, I haven't really given meekness much thought in my life. Um, anyways, as I read some of this, I, I, I had to go, okay, Lord, I, I want to, for myself, the way my brain works, I like to have a working definition of kind of like to be able to just, okay, what is meekness? Like, give me a, a definition. And, I, and as I was searching that out, I read all these books and these different commentaries, and man, there's like loads and loads of, of, of men and women who have spoken in what meekness looks like and all, and all this stuff. So this morning, I want, I want to try to, as much as I can, give us something that we can at least walk away with, with some sort of a definition. And for me, it, it actually helped me to begin with the, what, okay, I don't know what, quite what meekness is, but what's the opposite of meekness? And it actually helped me to think it in that angle before knowing what meekness is, at least a working definition of what it is. So the antithesis, as I thought and prayed and read, the best that I could come up with, the antithesis of meekness is to live with an aggressive, self-absorbed, fearful attitude, always needing to defend myself or ourselves, always needing to esteem ourselves, or to prove ourselves in our own eyes or God's eyes or others' eyes. Okay, the antithesis of meekness, okay, the opposite of living meekness out is to be living with this self-absorbed, aggressive, fear-based attitude. Always on the verge of defending yourself if critiqued or criticized. Always wanting to esteem yourself, always wanting the more prevalent place, prominent place. And, I, and as I, okay, yeah, I, okay, I can wrap my head around that. And so with that, as a, a little bit of a backdrop, meekness. So, so what can we say meekness is? Meekness is to live then with a, with a composed. It's not aggressive and it's not necessarily wimpy, but it's just, it, it's confident, it's composed. God-saturated contentment. Allowing God to defend. Allowing God to esteem us and not to prove us, but to prove himself as the one, able one to work in and through us and through others. Notice the difference if you look at the antithesis of meekness and and then the definition of meekness. The antithesis is all about us. Meekness is all about him. And I want that to be in the forefront of our minds as we continue forward in some of these things this morning. I believe a lifestyle of this meekness grows initially out of embracing a healthy view of ourselves. What do I mean by that? Matt, you're whacked. What does that mean? What are you, a counselor or something? No, I'm not a counselor. 
embracing a healthy view of ourselves, what, what, what's this all about? Well, there's two sides of this coin, okay? As, as we think about meekness, one side of the coin of an unhealthy view, and, and I called it the pompous Pauls, because one side, some of us are extreme on this side where, where we're, we're kind of gifted. We, we, we've been very successful in life, okay? Maybe we're very gifted and, and, and maybe we've been self-righteous in some ways because we're so gifted and we're so good and we've been getting praised all of our life. Like, great job, man. You're, always, you know, you're good at this, you're good at that. And, and we just kind of, we don't even mean to sometimes. Some of us do want to, but sometimes we become self-righteous, sometimes arrogant. And I call the pompous Pauls over on this side because the Apostle Paul, if you, if you know his story, he was, he was a very prideful guy. He was a very gifted guy. And if you recall in Philippians 3, he kind of gives a resume of himself at one point. He says, hey, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. The Hebrew of Hebrews. Okay, to that culture, that was a big deal. As to the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. And believe me, that was a big deal in that day. You had to go through a lot of schooling, a lot of credentials to get to, be a, to become a Pharisee. Paul was there. He was gifted. Very successful. And he says, as to the law, I was blameless. I kept the law to the T. But he had this unhealthy view of ourselves. And if we're on this side of the coin of things, we have this unhealthy view in that we, we kind of look at ourselves. We think we're the cat's meow. We think we're the best thing since sliced bread. We, we kind of think we're, we're pretty cool. We think we're pretty awesome. And people have praised us. And we're just kind of on this side of the coin. Anyways, as Paul in his life, as Jesus gets a hold of his life, and he starts moving into this, this meekness and into, into having a healthy view of himself. Turn to Romans 12 with me. Real quick. Romans chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. This is the same guy that said that stuff about himself. This unhealthy view, this arrogance, this self-righteous stuff. But as God does a work in his life, as he became more meek in his walk... He says this in Romans chapter 12, begin with me in verse 3 through 6. And listen to what he's saying here in what meekness is all about and having a healthy view of ourselves. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I think Paul's pointing to himself. Continuing, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to them. That God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many, many members. And the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of another. Having gifts, listen here, having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. From God. So Paul's saying in Romans 12, he, he came to realize, he, uh, man, I had an unhealthy view of myself. Actually, the, the gifts that I have, the abilities I have, are actually things that God has assigned to me to be used in his kingdom. They have nothing to do with me. Hmm. And then he says, having these gifts, guys, you, 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 and, and us this morning, we, we apply it to us today. We're the church still. These, this letter might as well have come to us. Having gifts, we have gifts according, that, that differ according to the grace that's been given to us. Not about what we've attained. It's about what God has given us. Okay, so that's one side of the coin. 
The other side of the coin, maybe some of us here can relate to this side of the coin. And I'm calling this one miserable Moseses. Because we're over on this side and we feel useless. Some of us feel absolutely useless in life. That side of the coin says, hey, I'm a gift to society. This side says, I'm a failure to society. Society's worse because I'm in it. Okay? We feel useless, maybe giftless. We, we self-critique. We're always beating ourselves up. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you handle that situation in that way? Okay? We're downtrodden. And, and I call us the miserable Moseses because if you turn again, I know we're flipping around. That's okay. Turn, turn to Exodus chapter 3. If we remember Moses' story, as you guys flip there, the context here, we have Moses. He, he grew up, and we know the, the story of him. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to get into all the story, but he grew up in Egypt, and he ended up killing a man, and he made a mistake, and, and everyone started hating him, and he ran away. He was like, ah, I can't deal with any of this, and he runs. He runs away to Midian, and he becomes a shepherd, and he's there for 40 years. And, and here in the context in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, we, we pick up Moses. He, he was walking out in the mountains one day, and there was a burning bush, and God was speaking to him through this bush. And we come to chapter 3. Let's see, what verse here? I lost my place. Verse 7. Verse 7, read with me. Then the Lord said, okay, out of the, spe- out of the burning bush to, to Moses, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Jump down to verse 10. God says, come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses says to God, who who am I that, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Well, the conversation continues. He questions God, who, who, who am I? I? I'm the guy that messed up. I killed that guy. I messed up and I ran away and, and here I am. I'm a shepherd. I, I do pretty well with just dumb sheep. You don't want me to work with people. I, I'm not cut out to work with people. And God, God, they continue in this conversation throughout the rest of, of chapter three. Like God just saying, no, I'm going to be with you. You're going to go do this in fairness. There's going to be signs and wonders with you. I'm going to work for you. You have nothing to worry about. And he says, you're going you're to go to a Pharaoh and you're going to speak to him. And then Moses says this. Go, go, go to chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses says to the Lord, in light of all this, he says, well, oh, my Lord, wait. I, I'm not eloquent. Neither in the past nor since, since the time you've been spoken to me, your servant. I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. Moses hated public speaking. I don't know what it was. He didn't like talking with people. I don't know exactly what he means here, but something in him was saying, hey, what you're calling me out to do, I can't, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just Moses. I, I'm just here. I ran away from everything you wanted me to do. I, 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 I can't. And he even says it. If we continue up to uh, uh, verse 13, Moses said, oh my Lord, just send somebody else. Just send somebody else. And it says the anger of the Lord was king kindled against Moses. And he goes on to say, hey, I, you know, don't worry about it. You just got to be a willing vessel. Put your confidence in me. I will take care of it. He says, I will be with you. 
What other side of the coin, as, as we've explained, kind of two sides of the coin, they're both unhealthy. Whether it's in arrogance, you think you're the, the cat's meow with all your gifts and you're doing it out of all your own strength. Or if you're miserable, Moses is over here wallowing, Lord, I can, I can, I can, I can. I got nothing to give. Whatever side you're on, we need to meet, we need to come to a healthy view of ourselves, guys and gals. In the middle here, we, have a, we can have a healthy view and there, there will be an onset of meekness in our life. Meekness will become, as we start coming into having a healthy view of ourselves, what that healthy view is? Living with a composed, God-saturated contentment. Allowing God to be the one who's going to defend. God to be the one who's going to fill. God to be the one who gives us the gifts. Even if we don't even have it yet, if he calls us to something, we need to have a healthy view of ourselves. We need to be meek enough to go, okay, I don't know why you're calling me to do this, but I guess you're going to give me the, the gifts and the abilities to do it. So here I am. Send me a healthy view of ourselves to embrace it for a lifestyle of meekness to be born in our lives. So not just embracing a healthy lifestyle, or lifestyle a healthy view of ourselves. Uh, number two this morning for us to consider. We need to establish a proper confidence in God. A proper confidence in God. Consider these New Testament scriptures. I, I threw a bunch up here. There, there's like hundreds more. A lot of these we know. A lot of these we have memorized in our minds. I wonder if we have them memorized in our hearts and memorized in the way we live, but we have them sometimes in our minds. We know these things. You don't need to turn here. I'm going I'm to spout through these real quick. And as we learn to establish a proper confidence in God, these, these truths need to be something that we consider on a daily basis. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, Paul says to this church at Philippi, I am sure of this, church, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence. Ephesians 3.20, again, Paul writing to this church at Ephesus. He says, church, now to him who is able to do, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power, his power that's at work within us. He's able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. Romans chapter 4, 20 through 21. This is talking about Abraham and, and his faith journey. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. As he gave glory to God. And he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You're seeing a theme here. Philippians chapter 2 again to this trip at Philippi. Paul, verse 13. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not about us. It's about him. And finally, again, there's, there's hundreds more. But 2 Corinthians 9, 8, again, uh, to this church at Corinth, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, 
you may abound in every good work. It's kind of like, in case you forgot that it's in everything, at any point in time, anywhere, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And for us to have the sufficiency in all things at all times. Anyways, these scriptures and many others point to this truth that we can have confidence in God. But it's one thing to know these things. Okay, there's a big difference. Like, like the, the, the biggest gap chasm there is. I, I think if there's one thing that the church really needs to understand, that there's, there's this huge chasm between knowing and establishing and walking in something. Okay, we can, we can know things. We can know these promises. We can read about them and they can come into our minds. And sure, and that's, that's a great step that needs to be there. It needs to be part of what we're doing. But again, between knowing that we can have confidence in God, huge difference in just knowing that and actually establishing, building upon, practically and walking in this confidence with God. I'm going to just say that again. I had to say it to myself a couple times. There's a big difference between knowing that we can have confidence in God and actually establishing and walking in this confidence with God. Completely different things. Knowledge and establishment. Question that I asked myself, when was the last time we were put in a, a situation or in a place in life where we had to put our complete confidence in God to see a situation through. You don't need to answer out loud, but just think in your mind. When was the last time that you absolutely had nothing else but God and you had to place your confidence in Him to see a situation through? For some of us, we can think of something right away. Because we've done that. We've, we've, we've not just with knowledge, but in, in establishment and walking things out, we've, we've, we've Put, we've been in a situation where we've had to and we've seen him be faithful. For some of us, maybe there's not, we're like really trying hard to like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, I've been financially fine. I've been, my health's been great. Family's been fine. Relationships have been great. Emotionally, I'm fine. Spiritually, I've been great. And there's nothing wrong with being just good. But my question is, if you're in that place and if you're scratching your head wondering, I don't know the last time I actually had to put my confidence in God. I ask this. Have you prayed for an opportunity for God to bring into your life situations that would force you out of your comfort zone to trust in him? Are you playing things a little too safe? I don't, I don't want to heap guilt onto anything. Like, that's not the point here, but it's the reality. We're pretty comfortable people here on the Western Slope. We don't deal with much persecution. We don't deal with much, you know, we got, we got great hospitals. We got great things to help our health. We can, we can pop a pill, you know, we can, whatever, uh, emotional needs. We got friends. We got great family. Sometimes we don't need to place our confidence in God at all. I know God convicted me in that way this week as I considered this question. I had to scratch my head. When is the last time I really had to put confidence in God? establishing and walking in this confidence. As we think of Moses, um, obviously he stepped up to it. Even though he had all of his own reservations for it, he stepped up to 
to, to what God was calling him to. And through event after event after event, as God was faithful and as God did miracles and as God stepped forward, as Moses just was like, okay, I'm available. I'm standing here with the people of Israel that we've, we've, we've left Egypt and now we're here at the Red Sea and we got Pharaoh's army coming at us. And he's in a situation where he's like, God, all I got is you and the staff. Uh, and, and what does God say? Well, and the, the, God parts the waters of the Red Sea. If Moses never would have stepped into that position, he would have never experienced that to be able to have that confidence in God. Do you guys see that? Do we see that? I'm talking to myself here. I'm passionate because myself, sometimes I can be so comfortable in my life. I, I, everything's just good to go for me. I'm not praying for God to stretch me. I'm not praying for for God to use me in a powerful way for his kingdom. And so I'm just cruising in neutral through life. And of course, I'm not going to have confidence because I never see him work. I never see him have to step up to the plate where I'm like, God, if you don't show up in this situation, if you really don't show up in the situation, I'm done. I think there's very few of us who can honestly say we've, we've, we've hit moments like that in life. Where absolutely, if only we had was God to get us through this, we're done. I, I hope we're hearing this in the right. I don't want to heap guilt. I want to heap motivation, encouragement to have confidence in God. And to step out in areas maybe he's called us for years to step out in. And we've been like, no, I'm too comfortable. I just, I'd rather just stay here and be comfortable. Why, why would I want to shake the boat? Things are going great. Shake the boat because you'll see him faithful. And you'll live an abundant life. Establishing a confidence in God. In God, He will move us. That He will shape us. He will call us into new horizons. For His will and His timing and His power. And with His agenda. Because remember. Meekness is to live with a composed God saturated. Not self Absorbed, but a God-saturated contentment. Not a fear-based aggression towards people who may critique or fear of not stepping out, but a God-saturated contentment allowing God to defend esteem and prove himself as the able one to work in and through us and others. Embracing a healthy view of ourself, either side of the coin, Embracing a healthy view of herself. Establishing, not just in knowledge, but in practicality. Establishing and walking out, learning that we can be confident in God. And third for us this morning, in our remaining minutes, allow selflessness to reign in us is meekness. To allow selflessness to reign in us is meekness. It's on the screen, but recall with me Jesus' famous words here. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. Learn, learn from me. Because I, I'm meek. I, I, I am the embodiment of meekness and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I know all, most of us in this city, we've, we've read this, we've heard sermons on this, Jesus quoting this. This is, this is a huge pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. But this week, as I studied this, it was a fresh understanding of what Jesus was talking about in light of meekness. What is this heavy laden? As he says, all you who are labor and who are heavy laden. Now, this isn't the, the all about this, but, but one angle of this heavy laden is this. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, a simple little book uh, expounded on, on Jesus' words here. And he says this. Listen to his words here. I know there's a lot on the screen, but I'll read them and... Sorry for those that can't see it. Um, A.W. Tozer says this, The burden borne by mankind is a heavy and crushing thing. Now the word that Jesus uses here means a load carried or toil borne to the point of exhaustion. Let us examine our burden. It is altogether an interior one, one that's happening on the inside. It attacks the heart and the mind. And it reaches the body only from within. The labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. The labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. Think for yourself whether much of your sorrow has not arisen from someone speaking slightingly of you. People People are carrying this burden continually, challenging every word that's spoken against them, cringing at every criticism, smarting under each fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. Self-absorbed, aggressive, fearful, always on the defensive, always critiquing, always not wanting someone to, to, to speak into their life because heaven forbid we're not perfect. Jesus here, we can be a people that are heavy laden with being self-absorbed. That's a burden. Do we see that? If you feel burdened today, now, maybe in other contexts you might be burdened, but I bet pieces of the burden that you're feeling is because in some ways there's some roots of self, self just, you just want to be self-absorbed. Your eyes are fixed on you. You're, you're thinking about you and your circumstance, and sure, you need to sometimes, but that's all you're doing. You're just, and you're, that's, a, that's a heavy weight on us, guys. That's heavy. It's heavy to bear that. Every day, defending ourselves. Jesus' yoke here, again, one angle of his yoke, I think his yoke is a lot of different things, but part of his yoke is a yoke of selflessness. Take my yoke upon you. I am the embodiment of selflessness, Jesus is saying. I am meek. I'm lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you. Stop being self-absorbed. Take my yoke. Be, be me-absorbed. Be God-absorbed. Be God-saturated. Lift your eyes off of yourself and look to Him. And look to others. And I promise you, I think your load will become a little lighter. As we yoke ourselves with selflessness, we will find rest. Rest. Ah. Oh. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to prove myself. Oh. Rest for our souls. Tozer goes on. The meek man, 
cares not at all who is greater than he. For he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. He develops toward himself a kindly sense of humor and learns to say, Oh, so so you've been overlooked. Oh, they've placed someone else before you. They have whispered, You're pretty small stuff after all. As, As he walks on in meekness, he will be happy. He will be at rest to let God just defend him. The old struggle to defend himself is over. And he's found peace, which meekness brings. Again, A.W. Tozer in the pursuit of God. For us this morning, some of us are carrying a weight. I find myself many days carrying a weight of being self-absorbed. Having my eyes fixed right here. My problems, my struggles, my issues, and sure, they need they we need to think about those. But sometimes we can get self-absorbed and we get sucked into this rut. Some of us for years. All we think about is us, our family, our things, our vacations, our things. It's a heavy burden. Jesus was the ult- Jesus was and he is the ultimate embodiment of self listness. Paul talks about Christ in Philippians 2, that Christ, have the mind of Christ who being equal with God, didn't think being equal with God, with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself of these things and he, and he became a servant. He came to earth. He came to die for the sins of the world. He came and he became obedient as a servant, even one to, to death, even death on the cross. He is the embodiment of selflessness. And if we this morning, if what we're saying is, hey, part of this meekness thing is to be be selfless and to let selflessness reign in us, then we need to let the person of Jesus maintain his proper throne in our lives. He needs to be reigning in us. We need to be abiding in him. If he's the embodiment of selflessness and we're struggling with being self-absorbed, guess what? The answer is, Lord, I'm broken. I'm self-absorbed. Lord, may I abide in you well today that the fruit of your Holy Spirit will well up in me and that what comes out now is this, 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 this selflessness. My eyes are fixed on you. My eyes are fixed on other people. My eyes are fixed on needs in the community. And we are at rest. I want the worship team to come up. Would you guys just mind singing um, just a little bit of this last song, Troy? Um, I think in this piece of meekness, if we're going to be men and women who embrace a healthy view of ourselves from one side of the coin or the other, coming into this healthy view of ourselves, it's from God, our gifts are from God, we're going to walk out in His strength, um, if we're going to establish, really establish and build and by the power of his Holy Spirit, establish and walk out what we know to be true, that we can have confidence in him, but really put ourselves in positions and, and, and circumstances and, and pray for them. Like, gee, this is a daring thing, but pray for those times. Pray, God, put me in situations where I have nothing but you to lean on. Ooh, he'll do it. It's scary prayer, but it's a, it's a life-giving prayer. And finally, to allow selflessness 
to reign in us, we will be men and women who by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus living in and through us, we, we will be meek. And Jesus says, hey, blessed, happy are the meek. We don't have time to get into it, but they will inherit the earth. There's something coming, guys, gals, that we have an inheritance. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. We have an inheritance as the king of the universe comes. And as he is reigning now, we have an inheritance um, that uh, for another sermon another day. But blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I pray that we can walk in meekness. Let's stand. Let's just sing a little bit. As we realize that, that we are, are, are feeble, we're weak, yes and amen, but God is great. God is good. The greatness of our God. Let, let's sing this out for the next few moments, and then we'll come up and, and close uh, in prayer.